Thanks for downloading and listening to a Quick Timeout podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. If you're in the market for a shooting machine, look no further than Dr. Dish Basketball's incredible lineup of shooting machines. Their CT, All-Star Plus, and Rebel Plus models have been bought by thousands of programs around the world, while their home model is being used by players all over the country, right in their own backyards and driveways. New to the lineup this year is the Dr. Dish facility model for those with basketball training businesses. These machines are must-have for those looking to take their shooting to the next level. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. Joining us today is assistant coach for the Minnesota Golden Gophers, Jason Kemp. Coach, appreciate you carving out some time. Appreciate you having me, Tony. For those who may not know Coach Kemp, he's been on staff at William & Mary, North Dakota State, Toledo, Ohio, couple other places. There are conference championships, NCAA tournament appearances, all conference players, players of the year, kind of sprinkled all throughout of those. One of the stops in particular I wanted to ask you about, Coach, just so happens actually a coach friend of mine up there in Minnesota turned me on to William and Mary a couple of years ago. And to this day, I've got some William and Mary fast draw stuff in my library and some great plays. My question was, was that you? I typically have worked more on the defensive side of the ball throughout my career you know obviously you know working with coach fisher over there i collaborated with a bunch of bunch of stuff they did but the guy over there and he is a brilliant offensive coach his name is mike howland was a longtime high school coach at saint viator in chicago and he was kind of the architect offensively of what we did while we were there now, our first year, it was easy because we had a guy named Nathan Knight on our team who's now playing for the Minnesota Timberwolves, so that that helped. But Mike, is he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant offensively. He's got a lot of good stuff. Yeah, out-of-bounds plays in particular, I still oh yeah, those, but yeah, some, yeah, some great stuff. This is year two for you at Minnesota, so mm-hmm. I, I guess, I, you know, starting with, what did you learn year one that made you a better coach for year two? You know, I've been fortunate in my journey to be a part of a lot of early stages in in some in some programs of, of what the program's going to look like going forward. Uh, you look back to my time at um, at North Dakota State. Uh, I walked in there as a GA uh, and we were Division II. Um, and one of the first things our head coach, Tim Miles, told me was, well, you know, there's potential that we're, we're going Division One. And that that following week, we were uh, at the Alumni Center uh, with our athletic director, Gene Taylor, who's now at Kansas State. And he was he was telling us that we're making the move. And so that was an interesting process going to Ohio University, where there had been a lot of coaching turnover. um, And we had to kind of build a program from scratch Uh, and then out to William and Mary. Very similar situation where we had a couple old guys, a lot of young guys, and kind of had to piece it together. So I think the most important thing here at Minnesota was, you know, it was a similar process of trying to look at that blank slate and envision what you want it to look like. And working with Coach Johnson has been great because he knows and has a clear vision of what he wants the program to look like. And so we've been going through that process the last year and, and some change of, of building our program, how we want to build it. And that's that's certainly has been the greatest challenge. About two weeks in, uh, we had one player on the roster and, you know, last summer. And so we went through that entire summer really focusing more on recruiting. And so I think our biggest challenge was trying to balance out development of our players and building a roster at the same time. And it was a lot of work, um, but we feel like we've built a great culture, a culture that works really, really hard. 
you know, we have a, a mantra we, we call PME uh, about physicality, uh, mentality and edge. And it has a lot to do with how we play, not just in games, but also how we prepare in our workouts to play with that physicality, mentality and edge. So just instilling that stuff while trying to build a roster has been challenging, but we think we're in a really good spot now. Yeah, you have very unique perspective. I know no coach wants to be on the move or inheriting a, a losing program, but like the reality is that most of us do if you're going to like a new program. And you mentioned the timing of everything last summer and kind of the assembling of the staff and, and everything. And now we're in the transfer portal era. I know recruiting guys that late is always difficult in building relationships. And so you all kind of really heavily went the transfer route. I'm assuming that that was kind of out of necessity, but I also wondered too, how different is it? Maybe lessons learned, advice, insights, that kind of thing when you're trying to build a program. And obviously you do want newer players and we'll talk more about that in a second, but like mm -hmm. building a program with those kinds of student athletes. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because the big 10 by and large has been a league where it's been about development. Uh, and it's probably the furthest furthest thing from a transfer league, a one and done league, as you could possibly get at the at the power five level. And I think the league has uniquely been able to kind of kind of hold on to that that development model. If you look at all the teams in the league, there really isn't anybody that's gone wholesale transfers, wholesale one and done. It still looks for the most part like it looked before the, the transfer portal era. And so it was challenging for us, given that we had quite a few scholarships when we came into the job, to try to, to balance the, the makeup of this league and how we wanted to look in year one with the fact that we just needed to fill roster spots. And so, uh, you know, fortunately, you know, Coach Johnson's idea, um, it, actually, it actually went fairly well for us, especially early, early on. We started out 10 and 1, and we had smart guys in the room. Uh, Luke Lowy, obviously, was from William & Mary that I coached there. Peyton Willis was from College of Charleston and had been here previously. Uh, originally was a commit to Vanderbilt, so he was a really smart player. EJ Stevens was an all-conference player in the, in the Patriot League from uh, Lafayette. So we had smart guys in the room and, and highly decorated mid-major guys. And so that made it easy for, for us to gel. And at times we forgot that we had only been coaching those guys for a couple of months because they were so smart. They were always on the same page. And that was a big advantage for us early. Now, our, our depth, you know, our size, those are things that were, were uh, a struggle at times. But as far as the way those guys played and, and the, uh, the culture that was built through, through who they were as people, as really smart players, I think that that paid big dividends for us going forward. Did you feel like they not necessarily bought in because then if they if, if you say no, then it sounds like they were resistant of it. But I just wonder with like bringing in that many guys who are I know as I coach guys like you get year two, year three, year four, like they mature, their thinking changes. Maybe they bring into the program the things that they learned from their previous uh, stops. How did you feel like things went of building a culture and attempting to do that so quickly with guys who a lot of them, they're gone already this year? Yeah, I think I think we talked early on a lot about who we wanted to be and a lot of the same vetting processes that the NBA uses as they're going through trying to figure out who would be the total package in regards to culture, in regards to 
the type of professional they are. I think we used a lot of those same measures to try to put together our team in the transfer portal, which is like who's going to add value in regards to the type of selfless nature they have. And so I think, you know, as the transfer portal continues to be a measure that a lot of programs use, I think that's the most important aspect is that you put together a team that's not going to, it's not going to rattle your culture. Um, and I think Coach Johnson did a great job with that. We we did. We passed up on a lot of game changers just because they weren't the type of the type of guys that we felt would buy into being a part of something greater than themselves. But I do think that's the most important piece to your success if you are gonna you know take some guys in the transfer portal going forward in our in our ideal world, you know we will still utilize utilize it, but it'll be needs based only. That's what I wanted to ask you. I know more time to recruit now that you guys have actually been there and build relationships. And I know you're working hard with guys. I was there late summer at, at one of your workouts and you had a Minnesota kid, kid there. And and I did just wonder like the balance going forward, because we've had this conversation at a you know small school, small college level is with we do want to bring in transfers because they do bring a level of maturity. Mm-hmm. But you also want to develop players and not have them there for just two years. I think if you shift your focus too much on the transfer portal itself and that small window of time where, uh, you know, I've got to go get the older guy and the impact player in the transfer portal and you neglect the guys on your team. Yeah. Uh, I think you can, you can make your program a little bit of a circus, not paying attention to the guys you have. Uh, I worked for a guy at, uh, University of Toledo named Todd Kowalczyk. And if you look at his numbers in regards to player retention, they look uh, like they looked post-COVID or uh, prior to COVID, I mean, in regards to the amount of guys he's been able to keep. And when you stack that up against the amount of success that he's had over the past five to seven years, uh, like it speaks for him, itself. I think he has a really healthy program. I think he gives those guys a great experience. Uh, they buy into what he wants to get done. And I think there's something to be said for really putting all of your energy into the guys you have on your team, as opposed to thinking about who's coming next. Uh, even though the transfer portal can be an asset, your biggest asset is the guys that are already in the room. A quick timeout podcast is sponsored by three on three hoops hub. If you're a basketball coach looking to grow your program, raise funds for your program, or build your basketball business, you're going to want to check out what 3-on-3 Hoops Hub can do for you. 3-on-3 Hoops Hub has run over 353 on-3 basketball leagues for thousands of kids since 1997 and is helping coaches all across country do the same. 3-on-3 basketball is the ideal format for players to get more opportunities, work on all skills and positions, and have fun playing competitive basketball with their friends. You can bring 3-on-3 to your community and do it like an expert, by learning from the best 3-on-3 Hoops Hub free training. To find out more and get access to the training, simply click the training.3on3hoopshub.com QTO link in the show notes below. All right, this is this may sound at first like an unrelated topic, but I do want to talk player development. First, real quick, how do you all split up responsibilities there for small group workout stuff? So... Uh, small precursor, um, you know, I was a Division three player in a time where in Division three, the worst thing you could do is work your guys out in the summer. So I knew nothing about individual workouts until I got to uh, North Dakota State 
and then was working with Tim Miles. So I, I didn't do an individual workout. I didn't, you know, as a player. Um, but when I got to uh, North Dakota State, one of the first things he had me do, uh, he said, hey, I got to, we got this really good freshman. His name is Ben Woodside. Uh, ben Woodside, he was from Albert Lee, Minnesota. He went on to be the all-time leading scorer in school history, had 37 points against Kansas in the NCAA tournament. And the one thing Coach Miles said is, look, I want you to, I want you to kind of take the reins on really working him out. And so that was my first experience, you know, essentially developing and trying to figure out how this player development deal worked. Right. You know, it was awesome for me as a, as a 22, 23 year old guy that could still get on the court and, you know, sweat with them and play. And he loved it. He had a passion for it. He had a passion for getting better. Um, and dude was a gym rat. Um, and it all paid off for him. But as far as like how we do things at Minnesota, we have, we do have position groups. Um, so we'll do essentially do guards, wings and, and forwards, we call them, because obviously in today's game, you want your, your big guys to be able to step out and do some things on the perimeter. Uh, we probably err more on the side of our big guys, like being able to do everything. You know, you look at a guy like Dawson Garcia, we try to we try to make sure he can pass, shoot and dribble because he does have some of those skills naturally. But, yeah, we'll we'll split it up into guards, forwards. I'm sorry, guards, wings and bigs. So you all this year have had and last year as well, but you had a good number of transfer guards. Is the strategy or maybe like how you go about things any different? for guys like that playing there in your all system when it comes to like the actual development of it because again most of us when we get new players in it's you did things a certain way in high school but now i want you to do it this way to play within our system what does that or does it look any different dealing with players who have been other places before sure and it it was very unique in year one because we had to bring in we essentially brought in seven perimeter players that played here for one year. It would, for us, it was more about evaluating them on film. And number one, can they, would they be able to matriculate into our offensive system based on the things they did at their old institution? And then also, you know, and I'll keep it this simple. Can they, can they shoot? Can they dribble? And can they pass? And a lot of people say, like, can they pass, shoot, dribble? Well, for us, it's like, okay, we got an empty backcourt. We need guys that can put it in the basket first. Uh, Then can they dribble? Because now can they make a play at the rim? And then, like, when they're cut off, can they make a play for their teammate to get them an easy shot? So that's literally, uh, you know, what we evaluated bringing those guys in. Uh, But as far as developing them, you know, I think it was more about, for them, they're finished products. And so we already really know what their ceiling is and we already know what they can do. And so for them, it was more about, you know, like at the next level and coach Johnson is great with this. He, he gets guys to buy into what are you going to be at the next level? So for Peyton Willis, our point guard, it was like, you're six, five, like you can handle the ball. You're great in ball screens. Like we really need to refine your ball screen game and limit the scope so that you have a role. So at the next level, you can be defined as like, this is what you are. And then our job as coaches was to think limitless about like what we can add to his game based on who he is. Does what you do in workouts 
relate specifically to your systems of play? And I'm talking about the small group workouts. Or are you primarily focusing on general basketball skills that then once you get to the practices, it's more of like this is what we're doing now within our systems? Yeah, I think, you know, and this kind of happened organically, but I think we focus on three areas. The first one is that we want to develop the playmaker. And that's, you know, like, just like I said, you guys, you need guys that can shoot, dribble and pass in that order to, to win games. Uh, you could run the most detailed sound offense in the country. If you have no play finishes, you won't win. Uh, I coached with one team that will remain nameless that had all the talent in the world, but didn't have a ton of play finishers and didn't have guys that could make shots from the perimeter. And they look like a million bucks. And I, I'll give this team credit. Two to three years after I was, you know, on to my next place, they did make the NCAA tournament. So they got better. But, you know, I would go through and watch our offensive possessions and watch us run offense and stop it right when the shot, like on the lift of the shot and be like, is this going in based on the shot we created? Mm -hmm. I'd be like, yes. All right. And then hit play. Boom. Click. And, you know, you don't you don't make the shot. And so. I, I think that's the first thing is developing the playmaker so that when you do get on the same page as a team, when you do run a great offense, when you're executing, now it's up to them to finish the play, right? And so that's the first piece. I think the next piece is to de develop the decision maker. And I, you know, there's Saul Phillips that I work with at North Dakota State and at, at Ohio. He is a wizard when it comes to this piece. In all his workouts, that's that's literally what it's about. It's about putting players in an environment where that that they're gonna recognize when they get to the game and and drilling that over and over again. So teaching them how to react to defensive pressure, teaching them how to react to secondary defenders rotating to help. What do they do when they are the game plan? Like, okay, you're you're the guy they're trying to stop. Now, how do you play when when guys are rotating you or guys are flooding to you? How can you still be a playmaker? What do you do when you're cut off? Like, how do you play against zone? You know, and we would put them in isolated situations where they had to react to what's going on on the court and they had to think with that. I think Chris Oliver calls it the snap mentality of like you going to the basket. And now you've got to think on, on that last second, you've got to think when that help rotates over or, you know, they throw a skip pass and now, you know, they close out hot, but they're down in their stance and they're, they're ready to defend you and you square them up. Like, what do you do? Do you shoot it or do you drive it? And then when you get to the basket and somebody rotates over and now that helps there, what do you do now? Uh, and so like he was really great at building and developing the decision maker. And we work a lot on those things at Minnesota and then lastly, like you said, develop the role, which is like now you're talking about your uh, system offensively and defensively and putting it together on the whole and, and trying, to, trying to develop them to be successful within what you do as a team. Can you now give me what that looks like if I come to one of your small group workouts? Sure. Um, so first, and there's going to be some layers to it, always would start out with some sort of ball handling. I specifically love uh giving them variety so if we if we do four workouts in a week you know typically we don't go long we go 35 to 45 minutes the intensity is going to be there we want to like i said part of our whole deal is developing an edge 
you know, and you want to get to a point where it's unsolicited, where the guys walk into the gym and they have they play with that edge and, and work out with that edge every time they're out there. We try to teach a ton. We try to teach confidence because we think confidence is a learned skill. And so one of the things that we really try to as, as coaches, we try to teach is if you see a guy struggling based on result, we try to we try to shift their mind away from that. And we, we try to get them to focus on like actually what they're doing and how they're doing it uh, and to worry about the results later. Uh, we keep everything really simple. We do try to try to gear things towards what we want to do as a team. There's an organized progression, so we don't try to do too much too early. And then the last and most important thing is like we're super patient with our guys. Uh, OK, so like to get back to just like the framework. We'll usually start with some ball handling. Sometimes we'll go one ball. Sometimes we'll go two balls. Sometimes they're actually throwing. You know, if they're going two ball, they're throwing to a coach in front of them and it's coming back to them and they're continuing to dribble. Sometimes there'll be like an implement added in, like where we'll throw them a tennis ball and they got to throw it back. We don't try to get too crazy with cone drills or anything like that. If we do, it's to get them to dribble in a tight space and then to come out of that space uh, low and long and athletic and to finish at the rim, some sort of finish at the rim. After that, we'll typically try to challenge them with some shooting drills. You know, we have a, a number of times shooting drills that we got from the NBA, probably about six to seven shooting drills, one from the Spurs, one from the Celtics, one from the Milwaukee Bucks. And we'll typically record their scores on that so they, they can compete from a, from a a shooting perspective to get better uh, with their their overall shooting. We're really, really big on finishing drills. And a lot of the stuff we do with that, one that I love is just, you know, you put the line under the basket, you put two guys in the slots, and it's just a next pass drill where the ball comes out from under the basket. The ball handler yells one more, you pass it to from slot to slot, and then there's a closeout from a coach and the ball handler is driving it at the basket. And then there's a series of moves they have to execute, sometimes with a pad there where they have to finish through the pad, sometimes where they have to finish around, sometimes where there just has to, if you want to get the juice going in the gym, it's like dunk fest, like get up and finish, uh, uh, you know, any way you can. Um, but that's a really good one to get the, the, like I said, to develop the edge within the workout to make sure you keep that, that energy level level high throughout the rest of the rest of the workout. And then after that, we'll we'll move to some things to develop the decision maker. Okay. And so like when you were there, you saw a couple, a couple of our drills, you know, two on one and a half is one that you saw where you're essentially simulating a ball screen, a handoff in the middle third of the floor. You've got a guy in the dunker spot or a guy cutting from the corner. And as the offensive player takes that handoff or comes off that ball screen, you have your defender that's guarding as a secondary defender, guarding the guy in the corner of the dunker spot. And he's either making a play on the ball handler or he is staying home. He's stunning and staying home on the guy on the baseline. And the dribbler has to make a decision, either go up and finish with force or drop it to the floor and you know, then, then there's your finish. So we'll, we'll do a lot of that stuff, uh, which leads us into, to actually playing out of our offense. So we'll do a lot of, 
we'll isolate a lot of situations out of our offense where we have defense out there three on three. You know, you have to essentially react to what the defense does. For instance, if we went return action and we had the big at the top of the key with the ball, he catches it on a on a reversal at the top of the key. We set that corner pin down guard to guard, and then we can do a number of things off of it. We can go Davidson action where we curl it. We can refuse it, take the handoff, and we're just reacting to what what the defense does. And we'll typically try to get more than one shot out of those just to make sure we're developing everybody's reaction at the same time within that that isolated possession. And then at the end of our workouts, we will shoot a ton of standstill shots. And a lot of times what we'll do is we'll put uh, incentives on there where they have to you know, for instance, like make 20 from the wing without missing two in a row, just so you can force their mind again into that that area where they have to build their confidence. But they're also challenged to be broken mentally of like, I missed two in a row. I go back to the start. Uh, it can really push them into that that place of uncomfortability based on on competition. And they have to kind of fight through that. So they're not just going through the motions and just like you know, shooting jumpers and this, this really doesn't matter. You always want to try to make sure you make everything you do relevant. I like the competitiveness of those types of things because it's not like a really, you're not doing, I think sometimes we think like competition, like I'm setting up this big game with all these rules. Yeah. And I found that some of the ones that the guys buy into and like the most are like the smallest ones where you make up something, yeah. sometimes just make up something on the fly and they're like, oh yeah, and they want to like get better at it the next time around. Yeah, simplicity is is key for sure. It's for key. sure. Yeah. I've got a couple one offs based off some of the things that you said there. So sure. the first one you would you kind of address this. What do you do? Where do you go back? What's the next step for when a player does everything that you ask in a drill and then you get to the game and the transfer just isn't there? Sure. Sure. You know, I think the first thing would be and this is this is where I think a lot of coaching staffs miss and obviously we you know we have a lot of things too that we you know we reevaluate and, and try to figure out where we can be better but I think where a lot of staffs miss is you can get a lot done one-on-one -on -one with a player by just bringing them to the office and watching it on film you know all our practices all our drills are are filmed from the time we start and we actually start on Tuesday uh, till you know March Madness and, you know, our video coordinator is awesome. He clips that stuff up and we can pull up any player we, we want and just bring them in and take 15 minutes to watch what they're doing in practice and how they're executing uh, a certain drill or how they're playing in five on five, just so they can physically see themselves so that they can understand that, like, look, this is this is easily correctable. It's not something that's going to stick around. You just got to believe in what you're doing and change these few things. But I think. I think so many times, you know, we get once we hit, uh, you know, October, we get 20 hours a week. I don't think, uh, you know, every coach in the country realizes how much time that is. Nobody is going to use all of that. But, you you know, coming up and watching film, that's a low impact deal. Like you can you can improve so much from just physically being able to watch yourself. I think one of the things that and Coach Johnson has encouraged us to do this find a and kids love this like college kids love it find a nba comparison find a guy that they play like and literally mirror him with that player say like look at 
look at this guy doing the same thing that you do and, and the differences between how you execute it and how he executes it and learn from it. I think that's like a really good way to, to reach kids today. Um, and so we'll do that a lot of, a lot of times. It's like, bring them in and watch film NBA comparison, sometimes mirror those clips of like, here's you coming off a, a corner pin down. Right. And here's why you didn't get to a shot when your teammate made you better. Here's why Damian Lillard gets to a shot every time his efficiency with his feet. He creates more space, like all those things you can go through. And they really buy into that. This is kind of association with the film, but then also with what you just said there, making them better decision makers. I think a lot of times we think of that as like what's done on the court to your point, like adding the defender or adding another part of the offense that they have to think about with the defender in it. But how do you make them better decision makers through film? What does the film session look like? Well, I will say this, and this is, this is 100% true that that film never lies. Sometimes when they can see how obnoxious some of the decisions they make are, I think that cures a lot. But with that, you have to be careful because what you don't want to do is you don't want to scare them into not being a fearless basketball player. You want them to play without that mindset of like, I can't, you know, you don't want to put them in a box. And, and so I think you have, to, you have to walk a fine line when it comes to film and decision-making. I think the reps are, are even more important. You know, I, I talked to you about our drill called two on one and a half. You know, sometimes what we'll do is instead of cutting that guy on the baseline, you leave him in the corner. And now what the drill becomes is if you, if you come off and this guy helping from the corner completely sells out to you, and we'll tell the defender, you're trying to deflect that pass, you've got to hit him all the way in the corner, right? And so now what shows up uh, when you do that is a lot of guys leaving their feet to pass, a lot of guys not understanding that, like, look, you can do this a bunch of different ways. You can get in the paint and pass fake and pass around him. Uh, you can dribble all the way to the baseline and throw the drift. You can Steve Nash and dribble all the way through. And I think when you challenge them to think about the options they have to be a playmaker, I think a lot of those good decisions start showing up naturally. And that's what you want. You don't want to, I don't, I don't think it serves them well to force them into like, this is what you do. Like, I think they have to explore it a little bit. And so just putting them in an open environment instead of a closed environment in your drills really helps with the decision-making piece. If you give them some small details of like, if you leave your feet, you better look like you have a plan, you know, as opposed to just jumping and not having anywhere to go with it. If you see that seven foot shot blocker in there, you know, dribble till he stops you. But like you got to be smart and think about, can I really take this guy on and, and finish around him? Or do I need to be looking for somebody to pass it to? All right. Last thing and kind of looking towards this season overall. And you alluded to it, got out to that 10 and one start like it was looking great. And then you hit big 10 and like that's just a different beast yeah do you feel maybe like a different mentality you know everybody wants to say well we just need to get better but like well what does that mean and how do you with a new new team a lot of new players that you're still forming the foundation early on there how do you improve upon that 
not so much that like it doesn't happen this year, but like just so that we know this better now this year. Now as we go in, how do we help build? Because the question I always get is, you know, I hear the coach say like, we just need to be tougher. Like, okay, mm-hmm. that, that sounds great. Like, wh- what does that mean? Like, how, how do I communicate that to my players so that we actually are tougher and so that we see improvement, even if it doesn't come out in the wins? Yeah. You know, I think I think the most important thing for us is going to be hanging on to the culture that was that was put in place. If, you know, Peyton Willis, you know, and we talked about this the other day as a staff and, and with the team, you know, we knew every single day we were going to hear a ball bouncing at 9.30 a.m. And Peyton Willis was going to come in and he was going to do the exact same workout he did the day before. And it wasn't going to be high impact, high intensity, but it was going to be consistent. It was going to look like how it was going to look how it was supposed to look. And we knew he was going to get better every time he walked out there. And we knew that like when he came into his uh, individual workouts, when he was working with us, like it was going to look the same every time his practice habits on the offensive end, at least Peyton a laugh that I, that I didn't give any, give him any credit on defense, but on the offensive end, for sure, like it was always going to look the same and it was going to be intense and physical and it was going to look game-like. I think if our guys can capture that, that consistency piece, I think that's going to be the most important thing is how consistent can we be? Because we do. We have a lot of good talent like in the gym now. Like Dawson Garcia just got his waiver coming in from North Carolina. And um, Talon Cooper is, you know, he was top seven in assists in the country last year. We've got – a playmaker. We've got a good, versatile big guy. We've got a guy that can score. We've got this collection of of, of young guys that are, are really, really talented. It's how consistent can all those guys be with their habits to get us where we want to go. And, you know, when you've got seven super seniors in the gym like we did last year, even though it didn't materialize in in wins in the Big Ten, I think that the things they did in their day-to-day gave us a chance every single night and we were in games last year and couldn't close them. Uh, but I think if we can, we can capture that mentality with this team, I think it's going to flip uh, to some really good results. And then individually, you know, I've worked with a number of guys that have came from some lower levels, Maurice Endure at Ohio that played for three years in the NBA, Nate Knight, who's currently in, B- in, in the NBA, Jay Preston, who was uh, you know a draft pick, second round draft pick that's playing for the Clippers we had at Ohio, and the common denominator behind all those guys, similar to Payne Willis, was that they all were consistent with how they prepared to play, and so I think that's our main thing this year is just being consistent with everything we do. We had the exact same conversation with a, a group of our guys yesterday. I, if you can get your players to understand that the, your season is made up of like 10,000 little moments of being consistent rather than these one, two, or three big like turning points that we want to point to that something big win on national TV can make all the difference in whether or not you have the season that you want to have or not. So that 100%. would be my message, my message to our guys as well this year. So, yeah, great there stuff. There you go. It's Coach Jason Kemp of the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Coach, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck to you guys this year, too.